Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. I have been talking with different people from Japan for the last few weeks to cover a lot of what's happening with the dolphins. A few weeks ago, I did an interview with Joe Noonan and found out about our guest today and the kind of work she's doing. Her formal name is Hyoko Tanaka. We're going to have another segment on the work that she does with a gentleman named Ishishan. They are really into saving the dolphins of Japan. They work on environmental issues. But today we're going to talk about her experience being in Japan, in Tokyo, and in Osaka, and what she's seeing and feeling and hearing, and what life is like there from the inside. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Kyoko Tanaka to It's Rainmaking Time. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for talking with us. It's very difficult here to get a handle on what life is like there. The traditional news networks keep playing the same devastation over and over. But I wondered if you could share what it's like to be there and anything that's dear to your heart that would be important that you'd like people to know around the world. Okay, yes. Um, thank you very much for having this opportunity again for us that day. Um, yes, I... W- uh, the earthquake happened on Friday afternoon. At that time, I was at the house in Tokyo. My building is two stories. And uh, we, we have uh, earthquake quite often. So at the beginning, I thought this was very um, minor earthquake. But then it just kept continuing shaking, probably about 10 minutes. And then finally, I decided to get out of the house. And then oh, um, when I saw the road, road was shaking too. Road was uh, winding. What do you say? Uh, just I, I felt this is something uh, I have never experienced in my life. This is something really, really bad. But I, I kind of instinctively knew the epicenter is quite far away from Tokyo. So I thought, oh, this must be somewhere either northern part, uh, like the uh, the Tohoku area or Hokkaido, and then those areas must be really, really bad. And then I turned on the TV, and then, yes, sure, it was uh, epicenter was the uh, northern part of Tokyo. Um, and then after, uh, I, I actually uh, traveled to, it's not travel, I was helping uh, foreign press who like to cover up there, and then we tried to decide, we tried to go up north, but the road was broke, and then we just finally decided to go by airplane. So, and then we went to Akita Prefecture and also Iwate Prefecture I, uh, for two, three days. And then, um, as a matter of fact, the purpose of going to Iwate was to cover the, like, Rikuzen Takada or Kesennuma, uh, all these uh, devastating area, coastal area, which was first swept by tsunami. And then we were approaching by, by the car from uh, Akita to, to those areas to cover because these uh, foreign press, uh, they, they need to do the live show. But on the way to be there, I, I just discovered that there was uh, another uh, danger of the nuclear power plant rather than Fukushima. It's, it's called Onagawa Nuclear Plant, which is about 60, 60 kilometers away from where we were trying to go. So I decided to not proceeding further, uh, then uh, turning around, going back to uh, Akita Prefecture where the airport was. 
And then there, there was another girl who were uh, with me, and then we decide. But then there's no uh, to, uh, pu uh, public transportation, so we decided there's no bus, there's no train, um, and then there's only one way we could do was uh, hitchhiking. <clears throat> I have never done it in my life, and then uh, we successfully could make through uh, the from uh, Kesenuma to Akita Airport. In the uh, uh, by the end of the, I mean, by the let's say like uh, ten hours or so. But anyway, what I was really um, surprised was um, people over there are so nice. They are so uh, helpful, so cooperative, and so warm. And then they just say, you know, this is such a time we have to cooperate to each other. And then you know, they they say all of them said they usually wouldn't pick up. Uh, Hitchhikers, but they, you know, something like this earthquake changed their mind. I mean, how to say, open their mind, such kind of thing. And then they are so nice. They even worry about our food. You know, do you have enough food? Do you have en enough water? They are the one they really have to worry about because there's no supply anymore. Um, whatever they have at the supermarket is the is the the one they have. They, they, that's the only one they have. Or, uh, and then after that, they don't know either what they're going to do, what they're going to be. Just want to cut in here for one second to make something clear. The Akita Airport is near where? It's uh, called Akita Airport on the Japan Sea coast, coastal line, which is the opposite side of uh, Japan. Uh, how to say? Like Iwate is uh, Pacific side. Okay. And Akita is Japan side, northern part. In the northern part, people are concerned and are asking you, do you need food? Do you need water? Are you going to have enough to eat and drink? Do they invite you to stay at their homes? No, the purpose of uh, uh, this was um, uh, I, we were trying to go to heading to Akita Airport ASAP. So they didn't uh, talk about that. But then I'm sure if, you know, I had to stay there for, you know, more than a few days, they, they are willing to help us for finding something. Yeah, so purpose was different. So how close were you again to Fukushima? From Fukushima nuclear power plant to Tokyo is about 200 kilometers or so. 200 kilometers. Yeah, maybe within 200, but uh, something like that. And from Fukushima to up north where we were trying to go is another like 150 kilometers away. Are people afraid? Yes, about the nuclear power plant? Yes. Yes, very much, very much. But um, there is a, how to say, like government doesn't seem to um, reveal the real information. So we are, I personally, I am very suspicious about information we get from the news, TV. Do you accept any of the news as being legitimate where you live? I came back to Tokyo now, so I live in Tokyo. Right. And then, uh, well, all the, uh, the, all the new information source now is, um, how to say, it? It TV or the internet or newspaper, those from, coming from media. I, I take it like, you know, only the fact, like, you know, if the uh, Fukushima power plant is exploded, then, you know, that's the fact. It, it explodes. But how bad they are talking about this, I, I don't know. I, mean, I, can, I don't know how much I can trust this information. I was just speaking with another dolphin activist who said that Kyodo News, K-Y-O-D-O -O, News, 
an independent news agency can often be very reliable. Is that true? Well, yeah, I'm sorry to kill the people.、Uh, they are working so hard. They must be working so hard too. But then, yes, media is uh, heavily uh, censorship in Japan. Really? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, even NHK, you cannot really, you cannot really sure how It's not like、um, uh, you cannot tell the truth, but, you know, the information, if you have 100%, depending on which part, which as- aspect you are picking up, and then the present, you know, what does it mean? It just it has as many aspects to show, but if you show only a few aspects, you get only limited information. Give us a little bit of a context about your work in Japan and your work with the dolphins. Yes, I, how to say,、uh, okay. My, my, I am a journalist. I'm a more like health and medical issue uh, journalist. And then I would help、uh, or assist Rick Overly from、uh, Save Japan Dolphin I, almost a year and a half ago. When they, and then after that, when, whenever the Save Japan Dolphin related people come to Japan, then I help assisting them. Is it like with dolphin tours or trying to show them how the dolphins are being saved? Could you elaborate a little bit about that?、Uh, Save Japan Dolphin is the group which is、uh, under the Earth Island Institute in, 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 in the U.S. And then this Save、uh, Earth Island Institute have this.、Um, I don't know how affiliated, so it's called Save Japan Dolphins, and they are focusing on dolphin issue in Japan. And at this moment, Taiji is the main focus for them to stop dolphin hunting. They like to come to Taiji to check what's going on there. Of course, they、uh, try to be very modest, very nice. I know that. They, they keep the manner. And, but, but they, since they don't understand Japanese, they have a lot of difficulties to communicate with many people. Like even,、um, reserving a hotel is a problem for foreigners. So I'm assisting for that, like, you know, transportation or the accommodation or basic information where to go, what to do. And then, you know, in the worst case, I, I talk to the local people for them. That's a big job of translating and facilitating, isn't it? Yeah, but、uh, I'm having, yeah, well, I'm having fun with it. I'm really grateful to help these people because they are so nice. And then、uh, I, I can learn a lot from these people. I, actually, I have learned a lot from these people. And then I see that both perspectives, both Japanese perspectives、yes. and also the foreigners' perspectives. And then deep part, local parts,、uh, local people and the foreigners' perspectives are the same. But just only the, when the matter comes about the dolphin issue, the local people get so emotional. They feel like they are rejecting、uh, the being human or like insulting uh, uh, you know, their, their presence. So they, they get so protected. I mean, they feel so against it. And then this conflict happens. That's what I feel. Are you saying that when visitors come to deal with the issue of dolphins, That Japanese people get very upset because they feel it's an insult to their people, or explain it? Yeah, insulting about our culture or the, you know, being a Japanese, something like that, because、uh, whaling is, this Taiji has 400 years history of whaling. And then you, when, if you see the geographic, you can see this place, you cannot 
grow anything. You cannot, there's no place to grow like rice or vegetables. So only they could eat, eat was seafood. And then uh, whale was one of the main protein uh, for them for many, many years. Historically, that's acceptable. I mean, that's the fact. And then I understand that too. But, the, mm. you know, recently, um, you know, that we are much more civilized and then we have so much other things to eat. You know, this. we eat also eat beef and cow. You know, this is another issue. But anyway, so why we there are so many other stuff we can eat in, in these days? We still have to um, eat dolphins. This is the, the, the topic. But and then, in fact, there are not so many people eating dolphins anymore. It's much, much less than you imagine. So it's small, really. Very, very small. But they feel like once people, especially Westerners, say, hey, you know, don't, don't eat whales and dolphins, they feel like locals, you know, they feel like they are rejected uh, their culture. That's why they get emotional. And they say, like, you know, leave us alone. And then also I spoke with a few local people whom are willing to unidentified or anonymous. They also think dolphin hunting is not necessary. But then, you know, they are doing, you know, local people who, you know, dolphin hunters are doing this for their own life to make money. So it's just, you know, if you have family, you have to make money. So, you know, that's, that's that's it. And then they think it will um, die down sooner or later. I really, really hope so. How I found out about you was that you are the translator for Ishisan. Yes. And I'd like you to explain who Ishisan is and a little about his background and how you came to be involved in translating for him. I met Ishisan also the uh, almost same time with Rick. Actually, Rick went to interview Ishisan, and then that was the first time I met him. And then since after that, uh, Ishisan, uh, many foreign people like to contact to Ishisan. So whenever, but Ishisan doesn't speak English, so uh, I translate for him uh, from time to time. Uh, Ishisan is uh, his name is. Um, so Itsumi Ishii, Izumi Ishii, he's a former dolphin hunter. He's third generation of dolphin hunter, and he was uh, hunting dolphins almost um, 25 years or so. Wow. And then uh, one day he decided some something happens, and he decided that's it. I'm not gonna do it. I'm, I'm not gonna kill dolphins anymore. And then there was a various um, triggers. But the main triggers, I mean, one of the main triggers was that he didn't want to kill dolphins uh, for a long time. But he kept hiding his fear through his feeding and then just, you know, kept kept doing it. But finally, he decided, that's it, I'm not going to do this anymore. And from now on, I'm going to say uh, work for saving dolphins. And then he uses his hunting board to the dolphin watch tour board. And uh, he's since... Since 2002, he's doing dolphin watching tour at the same port. Do the other dolphin hunters feel that Ishisan has turned on them? Well, yeah, he was isolated. Ishisan was uh, isolated for almost two years, he said. He said he didn't talk to any colleagues for two years. And they, of course, they, those people, I mean, fishermen union people are looking at him very with how to say, cold manner. They don't even agree to him. 
he just suffered a sudden period of time being like that. But do you know what the trigger was that made him decide no more? Yeah. Uh, the trigger was, main trigger was uh, overfish. He didn't know there was a quota. Uh, actually, there's a quota made by, set by government, uh, fishery agency. And then they didn't know, the hunters didn't know it at all. But then someone discovered it. And then he first, he realized, oh my God, this is, you know, there was a quota setting. And we, we hunted too much, too, way too over the, this quota. So he uh, suggested to apologize to people, to the public, that, you know, what they did. I'm sorry we did this, but we didn't know the quota. So, you know, and then he thought that's the way they could, he could um, continue dolphin hunting, uh, you know, to, uh, how to say, to, to be accepted by the people. But actually, rest of the people at the fishermen union at Futo, they say no. We don't want to do that. And then they try to hide it. So Ishii-san got upset. You know, why we have to hide? We did bad, you know, we did something bad. We should apologize. We should be open. Then he revealed this fact to the media. So he's outside of the whole loop now. But did he ever try to talk to the other dolphin hunters to say, look, there's a quota. We're overkilling. Of course. Of course. He, he, that's why he suggested to do reveal the information to the public. And then other people say no. So he says, okay, I'm just going to do this. And then he, he revealed the information to the, uh, to the press. And he stood up, you know, he stood up, which was very courageous of, of him. <clears throat> but then other people didn't like what he did. So he, they didn't cooperate anything to him for, for many years. And then he, well, during, since, uh, since this, things happened, he decided, that's it, I'm not going to do the dolphin hunting anymore. You know, I don't want to do, I don't want to kill dolphin anymore. Did he ever talk to you about his feelings about killing so many of them? Well, um, he, yeah, well, well, one very impressive story was uh, when he was actually a kid. Um, his father also, his grandfather also dolphin hunted. And then they, the way, the method of killing is uh, the cutting throat. Um, they, they take the dolphins all up, how to say, the, the, to the shore. And they leave the dolphins there with cutting throat because to let, let the breed out. Uh, but then they keep, still keep breathing. So they hear the sound overnight, how the dolphin survives. And then he's, he was, he heard that too. And his grandfather felt very, very, um, sorry to dolphins. And then since that time, he had this feeling. That was just one of the things that he probably kept in his memory for a long time. But how to say, like, you know, he was putting cover of the feeling. Does it make sense to you? Sure. I think that once people become aware that dolphins feel and animals are sentient and there's no need to kill them in a way that makes them suffer. It's one thing to kill them. It's another thing to put them through suffering. Exactly. And there's yes. no need to have them suffer at all. 
I did a show on compassion in world farming a few months ago, and I was talking to somebody who's training people all over Europe a whole other way to compassionately farm about the treatment of animals. And I think that it says a lot if fishermen could realize that even if they're going to still kill dolphins and they still have a quota, that there's got to be a different way to do it so there's no suffering because they deserve better. Exactly. Yes, exactly. It's a great tragedy. So are you afraid right now in Tokyo? Well, how to say, um, earthquake itself is not that bad anymore. We're still having aftershocks uh, from time to time. Actually, yesterday, last night at 10 p.m., we had about uh, magnitude 6 uh, earthquake happened at the Shizuoka. Actually, that's very, very close to where Ishii-san was living, is living. He said it shook quite a lot, but he said it's okay. Everything is okay. Um, so anyway, earthquake itself is scary, but not that frightening. More scary thing is about Fukushima nuclear power plant. It's just situation seems to be so bad, and then they don't fix anything. They don't make it anything better. It's just showing the fact it's getting worse and worse. That's why I, I then leaking the nuclear energy, uh, radioactive, radioactive is the word. Radiation. Radiation, okay, radiation. This is something I really, really seriously concerned about, the future about Japan. Not only Japan, it is going to spread to the, the whole earth. Are you tuning into what the people around you are saying or thinking or feeling or are afraid of? Who do you trust for your information is my question. Exactly. There's nobody, I, I don't know who, which information I should trust. That's another thing I, I feel afraid of. Um, if, you know, if there's any accurate information, I, I, I feel much better, but then there's not. That's why. And then I can feel government is hiding something. That's, that makes even feel insecure. Here's the thing, though. Let's step out of your shoes for a moment. You can imagine, though, a government with millions upon millions of people that's trying to fix something that they don't know how to fix. And they don't want to scare a population of millions upon millions of people and having everybody freaked out. So I think that this is a situation where you have to rely on your gut instinct, number one. You have to trust your intuition mm -hmm. and listen inwardly. Outwardly, you're going to get a lot of chatter. And then it's very easy to go into a panic. So your access to direction is going to be in whatever quiet calm you can center yourself in. Mm -hmm. To be listening inward, what is your call? What are you supposed to do? Where are you supposed to go? I believe you'll be led every step of the way what you're supposed to do. Do you have iostats there? Do you have the iodine pills? I don't have those uh, iodiopsy pills, but then I have homeopathy remedy for, mm -hmm. for this radiation. What does Ishi-san feel about what's going on? He's not scared. You know, because he's a very strong person. He knows, you know, what, 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 he always clear about what he wants and then what, you know, what he thinks should, should see and should do. But he also concerned about this too. What about your parents and grandparents and your sisters and brothers? Uh, my parents live in Osaka, where the west side of Japan. And you remember 1995, there's a huge massive earthquake it's called the Hanshin uh, Daijishin. Yes. That's the place they were living. And then they, since they suffered a huge uh, earthquake, they understand my situation right now. 
but um, they are fine. All my family people are fine. That's great. What do you think is scarier, the earthquake or the tsunami? Ah, that's a good question. Well, of course, where, depending on where you're living. If you're living a coastal side, tsunami is very, very scary. But if you're living inland, of course, the earthquake itself is already devastating. The tsunami looks scarier. But I guess if you're in a very populated area with buildings and skyscrapers, it's going to be scary to have the earthquake. All of it is scary, and it's like a one, two, three punch. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. exactly. Yeah, yeah. We have tsunami, we have earthquake, we have tsunami, and the nuclear power plants threatening. We just cover, and then also maybe a lack of uh, supply in the end, maybe we have a number of things to be scared about. Talk to us about infrastructure. Are markets open? Are you able to get food? Are you able to get water? Yes, yes. So in Tokyo, you can get food and water? Yes, no problem at this moment. Are you stockpiling food and water? At least for a week or so, yes. And right now, where are you getting your information from in terms of the radiation levels? Uh, one thing is TV and then also the in- uh, media coverage uh, over the Internet. Media coverage in, you know, by Internet means not only Japanese in- uh, in- information, foreign information as well, which is very helpful because there are lots of uh, foreign, uh, foreign uh, media reporting from a different pers- perspectives from Japanese media. Which ones have you enjoyed and liked and felt were correct? Mm. I don't remember. This has just have been so many information going around. But uh, one thing was very helpful to me was about the Otogawa nuclear power plant news because I was traveling in in a car and then I I could get only information about you know in a Japanese TV or Japanese um, media. It just you know just happened to me though. I could only get information of Fukushima nuclear power plant. So I didn't know anything about Otogawa. And then foreign people informed me about Otogawa. What was your experience of the foreign press? You had talked about the foreign press was going to continue to go north and you decided not to. Oh, yeah, because they had to do what they have to do. They are the journalists, they are the reporter. They had to do even that, you know, they're facing to the you know, health-threatening or something. They, and he was not afraid of it, not at all. He thinks that was, you know, I was too nervous about it, too serious about it. Do you feel that the foreign press was told the correct information about the radiation levels at the time of their arrival? Mm, I think so, but you never know which one is the, the correct information. Did you run into Anderson Cooper from CNN? No, I didn't. No. Because he's been in Fukushima. Or actually not in Fukushima. He's been in Sendai. Ah, okay. I see. Well, Sendai is somewhere near where we were trying to hit the uh, ahead. Yeah, Sendai is another place. It's also uh, uh, close to um, Otogawa power plant. Otogawa? Yeah. Sorry, I just don't have a... I just cannot recall the exact name of this power plant. But anyway, yeah. Okay, is there anything else you'd like to share with us today? So, I'm, I'm very glad that so many people are sending us for the prayer and for the good luck. 
I feel it very much. And um, also, they, you know, they offer the help, any help, you know, uh, please let me, everybody say, say that to me. And then I'm very grateful that I'm very, very happy about it. And then how to say, at this moment, I don't know what to ask um, because um, myself is fine and then Tokyo is okay. I think it's more serious later on, maybe six months later, three months later, six months later. So please keep eye on this situation. And then when we need help in the future, we'd like to ask you to help. Uh, until then, please just keep eyes on it. I think that there is something called IOSTAT coming from Switzerland who has it stockpiled. Uh, the U.S. government only made a certain amount and doesn't have an oversupply of it, so they won't be sending it as far as I know. But Switzerland is preparing it to bring over to Japan, mm-hmm. and probably it would be a good thing to have Geiger counters for is measuring. That, oh, oh, thank you very much for mentioning. Yes, that is very, very inform- in, in, important. Uh, nobody is doing it. I don't, as far as I know, not, not really, nobody is doing this and scaring how, how much the radioactive is out. So yes, please, this is something very urgently needed. Okay. And the other thing I think that the public needs to know is that in different parts of Japan, the mail service works. In other words, you can get packages, you can get gifts, you can get things. Is that correct in Tokyo? Tokyo, yes. At, so far, Tokyo, yes, but northern part, no. There's no postal uh, mailing either. So I wonder if roads are blocked and damaged and everything, there's infrastructure damage, how does the government or the emergency part of the government think that it's going to usher food and water and supplies to the people in need? Well, I don't know. Um, northern part, a uh, whole highway is blocked. And then I've heard the reason for this is for the military, military or jietai or Japanese military can uh, deliver the food or supplies to northern parts. So there is actually the way is open, but then I don't know how much it is working right now. So it all has to be by air. Mm-hmm. So you need Geiger counters, you need Iostat tablets. What about transferring funds to help families in need? Um, bank is functioning. Okay, no problem. So Okay, I know that the market has been taking some losses, so has industry. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people out of work in the north. Yes. So it's a pleasure to have you on. If there's anything else you'd like to share with us, you can also recall its rainmaking time and share with us as needed updates or if you feel important information. Mm-hmm. And yes. then at the appropriate time, we would love to do a special on the dolphins and Ishii-san's work and your work with him. Okay. Uh, one other thing, if you don't mind, Please. I would like to mention. Uh, those people who are living near Fukushima area, they are having, a, you know, very, uh, they, they are suffering this nuclear thing. And then they need uh, the, those tablets you mentioned. And also if there is any thing that they, they uh, like I have homeopathy uh, kit for the radiation, so I, I can take this. But people who don't have this kind of information, they don't have supply for this. I want to deliver to them somehow. I want to, you know, reach this kind these things to the people over there as much as possible. How can I do? I don't know. But then, what do you think? I think it's going to be coordinated through different countries. But if you personally want to take it upon yourself. 
I think it needs to be ordered from outside the United States and coordinated to be brought in probably uh, through Tokyo and then for whatever planes will bring shipments in. I mean, that's literally what you're looking at. If if you want to bring it into the north, people are being instructed not to go out of their homes. So then you have people at risk who are going to be ushering the supplies. So it's a catch-22. But I believe that it's going to be an international effort to get iostat-type iodine pills that handle only one part of it. You know, it would be also good to bring food and water to these people. But the thing is that this is going to take an entire planning network of not only whatever the government's doing and however the United States is going to assist and other countries are participating, but it's going to take its own action network of people on the ground to see how they can help. But you're going to have to have a sense of the logistics here to do it. Exactly. You're going to have yes. to set up some logistical pathways to be able to do this because you have so many people that are overwhelmed and the more days that they're inside without food or water you have more panic you have more upset i mean there's only so long i think that any culture of people are going to stay organized and stay calm i think there's a time window for this even for the best okay so i don't know if i answered that question but that's my gut feeling on it the other thing would be very very good and i'm going to suggest this openly and that is to call upon some of the best remote viewers in the world Paul Smith out of Austin, Texas, and Lynn Buchanan out of New Mexico to do some remote viewing work. I don't know if you've heard of remote viewing. No. Remote viewing is a very high-level way to look into the future, also to go into the situation in the present, and also to go back to the past to recover data. You can transcend space and time. It's a protocol that was used by the military and it's a psychic protocol to go in and see the situation. And I think urgently, rather than trying to mess with this on a human level of logistics, and when you're in a race against time, you should pick the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend those two people to assist in figuring out what's going on and then reporting this to the Japanese government and to the people in charge of this situation who will be able to go into it in a totally different way and tell you what needs to happen, what is happening, and also would be wonderful to assist in what they do in recovery and recovery from a totally different vantage point. So I've interviewed both these people. They're top-notch in what they do. This is an off-the-chart, highly advanced level of gathering data. It's not something that the Japanese government would immediately think of necessarily because it's not necessarily the realm that people in leadership deal with. But on a protocol level and on a race-against-time level, it's one of the most important things I would do. If I were running any country in the world or managing that country or leading that country, there's another remote viewer named Joseph McMonagall, also awesome, one of the first ones trained and doing the work with precision. And there are others all over the world, a couple of handfuls. We need to call upon these teams of people who are able to cut through the logistics, not even have to be at the site and can gather the data from inside the nuclear power plant itself, what's around and what needs to happen, and they should be part of the resolution of this whole thing, from soup to nuts. I'm putting myself out here by saying that, but that's what I would do. I would be in a race against time about it. I would also have them look and see 
what the radiation levels are. I would have them be on the team for the resolution because it's important and affects too many people from all over the world. It's bad enough that it's where it is in Japan and all the people whose lives are at risk and industries, but it would resolve a lot of unnecessary fear and natural fear that should be there because you have to stay on your toes right now. Yes, exactly. So I will also put those people's links at the end of this interview as well. For people who listen to this, do you have a website? Yes, I do. Uh, I have only blogs, though, and it's written in Japanese, so... Okay. If it's written in Japanese and you have a translator, then people can read it from all over the world. Do you know that? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So you can put a Google Translate button on or other types of Translate buttons, and then everybody from different parts of the world can read your blog. Mm-hmm. And we'll put it on there, and we'll also put the names of the other suggested people that we feel should be called in to be of help in this emergency situation. Okay, thank you very much. My pleasure. Kiko Tanaka, it's rainmaking time. We thank you for coming forward. We thank you for your work with the dolphins and the environment and the medical and well-being areas that you cover as a journalist. We also thank you for sharing your experience. Thank you very much. Thank you.